Der deutsche Spargelkult müsse enden. Germany's beleaguered defense minister has temporarily dropped his PhD. Volkswagen ist eine Perle der deutschen Industrie. Und ich glaube, das kann man nicht sagen. Ich weiß, wie viel Liebe dahinter steckt. Wenn Glühweinstände aufgebaut werden, wenn Waffen. Spargelweltmeister ist China, denn die bauen sich. And this is Ted, and welcome back to Spaßbremse. We're joined here by a great guest, and that is Rory Casey, who is a freelance reporter based here in Berlin, and we want to talk about a recent article that he wrote. So, Rory, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on the show, guys. This article caught my attention. It's in Foreign Policy magazine. Um, it's about the German political foundation system and specifically the far-right AFD party and their um, their foundation, the Erasmus Stiftung. Uh, Stiftung is uh, German for foundation, so we'll probably go back and forth between those. We're going to say Stiftung a lot. Probably. probably. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that means foundation. And this, we'll get into the controversy about this. Basically, the situation is that the German government might find itself in a position of funding extreme far-right views with tens of millions of euros to spread far-right ideology all around the world. And if that sounds outrageous, it is in a way, and it also makes a lot of sense based on the German system, and there's a sort of a reason why that might happen. We'll get into all those details, as well as just the whole point of this political foundation system, which might sound like a a very bizarre thing if you're not familiar with the German system. But it's a it's a peculiar thing where all of the main political parties, right, they have they have this big uh, a foundation that accompanies them that sort of helps them achieve their political goals in a non-direct way. And so they sort of support the vague values uh, and they really operate all around the world. Could you tell us just a little bit more about this system and then we can get into some of the the actual foundations themselves and what they do? Yeah, so the, I mean, the obvious um, comparison to make internationally is to call them a think tank, which really since the post-war era, they've they've really grown um, and they've as they've developed and, and grown bigger and but in footprint and staff and budget over the years, um, they've taken on a lot of new roles. They uh, give out scholarships for, for young scholars who are um, politically orientated to, to the party's ideology. They're kind of retirement homes for party grandees. They publish policy papers. They uh, run archives. They um, are basically international development agencies all across the world. They fund uh, publications and media outlets. So they really have a very, very much broader remit in reality than that they appear to have on paper. Yeah, it'd be sort of like... You know, if you imagine, I guess, the, the U.S. party landscape, right, if there were sort of this one organization that was not, you know, 100 percent tied, but, you know, very, very tied to, say, the Republican Party. And it wasn't just this sort of network of right wing think tanks where you have, you know, the Heritage Foundation, the Club for Growth, the Federalist Society. And there's this sort of whole network and like tapestry of different organizations that are often privately funded that help pursue the goals of one party. But one specific mega foundation that was funded by the German state and then is funded based in part on the, the actual vote share that the party gets, right? So the, the bigger the, the party is in parliament, the more money they get from the government. 
Yeah, so the, the foundations of the Stiftung are defined as Partei Nea, as a party near, so a party adjacent maybe. So they are legally distinct entities. They have different memberships, different leaderships and governance systems, but they um, the foundations are, are funded almost entirely from the state. 90 plus percent of their budget comes from the state. They wouldn't exist otherwise. So, and they get that money through their affiliation with the party. And so there is a, a legal distance that in reality is, is kind of acknowledged to be very small. I mean, a lot of the, the head of the SPD's um, Stiftung and the head of the CDU's are both, you know, senior uh, figures from the parties themselves. There's a lot of overlap in staffing. And yeah, in reality, they do party work and they don't. So it's kind of um, a gray area. Yeah, and really, I mean, because they're so international, for example, um, well, let's run through the actual foundations themselves, because we'll probably mention these names quite a bit throughout the rest of the episode. So the oldest one would be the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung um, from the SPD, which was founded in 1925. So I guess the only sort of pre um sort of pre-federal republic foundation. The other ones are all founded after World War II. There's the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung, um, part of the CDU, of course, founded in 1955. Friedrich Naumann is part of the FDP, the, uh, founded in 1958. Hans Zeidel Foundation of the CSU, the Christian Social Union. That, you know, they'll, they'll often be grouped together in the Bundestag, right? There's called like Union, like the Union of... They're just the the Bavarian version of the CDU, but they have their own foundation. From 1966, Rosa Luxemburg uh, with Die Linke, founded in 1990, Heinrich Böll uh, with the Greens, 97, and, um, Desid how do you even say it? Desiderius Erasmus? Desiderius, I think. Desiderius yeah. Erasmus uh, Stiftung or foundation with the alternative für Deutschland. I was going to half say that in English, half German. Alternative for Germany, Alternative für Deutschland, um, 2017. So the newest of the bunch and probably the most controversial due to the political alignment of the party itself. So those are the big players here. And obviously, um, you often often hear um, the CDU Foundation, called an Adenauer, abbreviated as KAS or CAS. And then you'll see FES for Friedrich Eber Stiftung. So you know, if you're reading about this, you'll just see those, um, especially those two abbreviations quite a bit. And those would be the biggest two, right? The biggest two parties historically in Germany, both active in over 100 countries. And so it's, you know, it's a bit different. I guess you know, I was talking about this U.S. analogy with this sort of, you know, this like patchwork of different think tanks and organizations. But a lot of those exist primarily to exert political power within the country they're in, right? Like the Federalist Society is there to get right-wing judges in America. You know, the Club for Growth is there to try to get lower taxes, you know, in, in the U.S. These foundations, they do, they obviously work in Germany as well, but they do a ton of work abroad. And so they're a tool to spread the specific political ideology of the party they're aligned with all throughout the world. And like I said, some of these are active in over 100 countries. So it's really... It's really quite substantial, the amount of work they do. And we're talking, you know, tens of millions of dollars here in terms of the budgets. Oh, hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. Oh, between them all, just this year, the budget is 660 million, I think, between the six ones that are funded by the state. Right. Oh, it's in, it's in the tens for the, what would be hypothetically is for the, 
the Erasmus Stiftung is what they're looking at would be in the, the e- two figure millions, but the big ones are the three figure millions. E- yes, I think the I think the Adenauer Stiftung and the Eber Stiftung would have budgets of over a hundred million. I'm pretty sure. And as well, they, they do it also, they do, you know, represent their parties and the ideologies, but also the German state. They are sort of unofficial embassies in a way. There are more of them than there are embassies and consulates, I think, in the world. So they really do extend Germany's like diplomatic and soft power as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird mix, right, of party influence and then just sort of general German soft power. And yeah, influence. exactly. It's, it's, it's hard, sometimes it's hard to disintangle, right? Like, does the does the German state fund these because they just sort of increase Germany's power overall? Or are these, you know, specific kind of organs of the ideology of the party? And I think the answer is both in many cases. Yeah, like you'd see in, in kind of the post-invasion Afghanistan, just to give one example, I think most of them were active to some degree in state building, whether it's kind of, you know, women's rights or, or stuff like this in based out of Kabul. And that would also be something that the German government was doing themselves. So in a case like that, they're very much working on the same page. Yeah, so that's obviously a good a good recent example here. But, you know, as we pointed out, some of these have been around for quite a while. Could you take us through, you know, maybe not comprehensively, it's probably worth doing an episode specifically on, you know, some of these organizations themselves, because some have been very instrumental in very key political moments. For example, the FDPs, the, the Nauman Stiftung was very influential in some of the rapid privatizations of Eastern Europe after 1989 and the, the fall of the socialist regimes there. So that's that probably deserves its own episode. It's such a, a consequential moment. Um, but just generally, you know, what kind of things have some of these parties been active in? Uh, sorry, these foundations, um, what kind of things have they been active in? You know, what what kind of activities are we talking about here? Because it, it can sound a bit abstract. You know, I know they, they fund scholarships for people. They put on events, but they're really active on the ground in very specific locations as well and have been for decades. Yeah. Um, to give one example, the Ibert Stiftung from the SD, um, SPD was very active in the sort of years after the dictatorships in uh, Spain and in Portugal. They did the, the sort of um, as they moved towards uh, their first democratic elections there, the SPD was very active in trying to give some shape to the social democratic movement, giving both money and um you know, training to uh, various groups that they were affiliated with, which would become the PSOE, which is currently their sister party and and their affiliated union. Um, To some degree, they were, you know, helping the more moderate elements and not the more communist elements. But um, they were they were very active in in shaping that. And and their their influence has been written about the the, um, Conrad Adenauer Stiftung, for example, was quite influential when Poland was joining the EU. Um, behind the scenes, you know, these these are all very active in Brussels. Um, they were kind of um, facilitator for Eastern and Western conservative parties. To to they they were they hold these organizations host a lot of discussions and forums and conferences that um, are, are meeting points for you know parties from different countries and so on. So that was considered to be quite influential for Poland's EU accession. Right, because at the EU level, you obviously have these uh, larger party groupings in the European Parliament, you know, the biggest uh, of which would be the Socialists and Democrats. 
which is sort of the sister parties of the SPD and the EPP, the European People's Party, which would be sort of sister parties of the CDU. And if it seems like at the European level, there is sort of a, a mirror image of the German parliament and sort of how these parties are grouped, right? That's not, a, that's not an accident. A lot of that has to do with the actual work of these foundations in shaping parties in other countries to be mirror images of the German parties themselves. Yeah, and it's, it's really under-researched topic, um, both in English and as far as I can tell in German. Uh, to a large degree, the history of these foundations is sort of written by themselves. Um, they do have pretty immense archives that um, researchers dig into. I think just a few weeks ago, there was a somewhat big story in Germany that Adenauer, Konrad Adenauer had ordered the spying of um, the SPD during his tenure as chancellor and, and used... Um, uh, an ex-Nazi spy as as um, one of the kind of henchmen in that program. And that was found through the Conrad Adenauer archives. So there is really a wealth of knowledge there that, you know, I think we only know the tip of the iceberg, really. It's also like if you're Googling anything about Germany, these resources pop up first, right? Like it's <laughs> they have such vast archives yeah exactly i mean by and by having something affiliated with the party control what is out there and able to be researched like there's an obvious kind of there's an obvious sort of influence there an ability to kind of like shape shape what's what's discussed i mean i guess we oh you know we wouldn't it's a very easy system to criticize and i think maybe there's there's some strengths but like we all here know people that, like, for example, work for the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung, affiliated with the left party here. And they do like they do like very interesting work, you know, about whether it's uh, the the ownership of like different speculative properties in Berlin or like, you know, um, supporting unionization abroad. Like they're very, you know, in one of the smaller part, like one of the smaller parties, therefore one of the smaller foundations and like the, the like wealth of research and wealth of activism that this one foundation can can contribute to it's like crucial to it's yeah it's, it's very it's very very crucial and then you yeah. think like okay well let's multiply how important we know this one left foundation is for like the sort of things that that we value and then you think about that amount of money multiplied by a lot for other parties and also there's a lot more parties that just you know wouldn't we wouldn't really agree with their political views and you're like wow they're doing that times you know 10 or 20 all throughout the world yeah, once you become familiar with the names and you start to see them in a lot of places. I mean, f for the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung, I, I know in the UK, they fund, I think, or, or maybe even founded the World Transformed, which is sort of a annual festival of like left ideas. And it's kind of a Corbyn adjacent thing. They also fund Novara Media to some degree, as far as I'm aware. So they, and yeah, this is one of the smaller ones. I do think... And we'll probably get on to transparency later. The left, the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung, the Heinrich Bull Stiftung, the green one. Much more easy to find out what projects they're supporting and where their money is going. It is much, much harder for the bigger ones, which have much bigger budgets, to actually see where that money is going. It's pretty hard to track. Yeah, and probably probably no accident there, of course. Like we said, they're um, by... They, they both write their own history and then obviously disclose what they want to disclose. Whereas like, you know, Rosa Luxemburg might be sort of proud of some of these projects it funds. And then there might be a little, little, little shadier things that support some of the, the both interest and ideology of some of the more right wing parties that uh, would not have an interest in sharing that. 
but we shouldn't we shouldn't speculate too much. We don't want to we don't want to libel any of these uh, these organizations. Well, there, because... there have there have been some controversies over the years. I mean, they pop up now and then. I think the Conrad Adenauer Stiftung had to explain why they were funding a sort of anti-communist alternative to the ANC in South Africa. Um, they were they were funding them on quite a bit of money, which they later have to distance themselves from. The Nauman Stiftung has come into some trouble in South America. This is the FDP, the sort of purely neoliberal party. Um, they would their representative in um, Honduras uh, publicly endorsed the military coup there in 2009. And that was obviously controversial. They also, according to a Chilean, sorry, Peruvian paper, were um, hosting a meeting of various right and far right uh, political uh, figures um, and that are linked to the Kiko Fujimori and they were allegedly plotting to oust the leftist president Pedro Castillo so this stuff does pop up now and again where you know when and you these are the ones that pop tank, when you say yeah. think tank, that is not <laughs> it's a little misleading yeah. Mind, yeah right like this is like big moves this is not um, <laughs> this is not some paper that three think people and do read tank. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. So it's just like you said, it's this weird, uh, I think, what was your your phrasing in the article itself? I think you said uh, they've grown into hydras, public policy mills, host of lectures and conferences, retirement homes for party grandees, training grounds, lobbyists, givers of grants, international development agencies, media financiers and back channels for diplomacy. And so that last one on the back channel for diplomacy might, I guess, even be expanded a bit into um covert operation adjacent or uh, somewhat malign influence supporting like we you know I don't know exactly how you want to phrase that I won't make you put it in your yeah again but... a lot of this is uh, as I said you're only really seeing the tip of the iceberg I mean the the stuff in um, South America the Nama shifting I mean the for some reason their representative publicly endorsed the coup so that was that was on the record but you can imagine what's not on the record yeah so they're they're not necessarily bringing their best here like you said um, maybe, uh, maybe the postings abroad, they're not, they're not having their most, uh, discreet members in those Yeah, posts. that, that particular figure would later join the AFD and later get kicked out of the AFD for being a self-admitted fascist. You love to be too right-wing for the, the rightmost party in the, in the parliament. Yeah. So that gives a, a bit of an idea of like the kind of things they do. Like we said, like it's, you know, you can't really sum it up. It's this like huge multifaceted approach they have here. Could you just tell us a little bit, because this, this ties into what we want to get into, which specifically the, uh, the AFD Erasmus Stiftung, which I have to say is a kind of brilliant, like marketing coup for them. Cause like the, you know, North American listeners might not be as familiar, but like the word Erasmus is just sort of very, uh, it has very good connotations in Europe because the sort of study abroad scheme that's funded by the EU, where everyone goes to, you know, different different European countries, they call it like doing your Erasmus year. So doing an Erasmus is like that's where you, you know, get drunk in Spain for a year or whatever. Yeah, that, that has been pointed out and is maybe not entirely uh, a coincidence. Yeah. One thing about the Erasmus Stiftung since... Um, it affiliated with the AFD in 2018. It has been constantly embroiled in various legal suits. And one of them is over the name Erasmus with the EU. And they've, they've actually lost, I think, in the European courts the right to use it, at least at the EU level. But they're kind of dragging it out in appeals. But it's not even... They've even had a, a different legal complaint about 
the name because they were planning to change it to the Gustav Stresemann uh, Stiftung, who named after a Weimar-era foreign minister. And the family did not care for that and took out an injunction, which they won. So even the name itself has been highly controversial and bogged down in legal cases. They should call it Erasmus Minus <laughs> instead of plus. That's good. Yeah. Stresemann, also also chancellor, right? Um, in the in the Weimar era. Himself, like a sort of an interesting figure, I guess, because he was he was fairly right wing, but not on the full like NSDAPA level. So that's sort of again, it like it, they're trying to be very cute and clever with these names. Right. Like Erasmus trying to play off the off the like study abroad program that everybody likes and sort of, you know, capture those positive connotations. And like Stresemann, like who um, was he was um, chancellor during the stabilization after the hyperinflation. And so like he's sort of seen as a figure of stability, but himself was a you know hardcore German nationalist. And so I can see the AFD sort of seeing themselves in that light of like, oh, no, no, we're this sort of politically acceptable right, but actually held deeply reactionary views. So in, in a way, I think that maybe is a good is a good name for them, even though I can see why the family might not like it. I mean, I think they run into a problem that the other parties don't have with the older foundations are named after you know great leaders of of that party uh the newer ones have to draw on something slightly different where it's the greens heinrich ball as you know environmentalist writer figure and left with rosa luxemburg who was you know a marxist intellectual the after you run into the problem of who would you who can you reasonably claim to represent your tradition yeah so it is a problem yeah, well, they're, they're grasping for I'm solutions. Sure there are many that they'd like to <laughs> allude to. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it plays into the, the very sort of old uh, left SPD tensions, right? To have a Friedrich Ebert Stiftung and a Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung. Yeah. Die Linke having been created from breaking off of the SPD and Die Linke's foundation being named after someone that was killed during the chancellorship of Friedrich Ebert, the first SPD chancellor, who then sort of, you know, famously allowed the allowed the fry corps to uh to dispense of her and so there's like this like a hundred years ago this kind of like left spd controversy now sort of plays out in the actual names of the foundations of like one having sort of not directly but indirectly let the other be murdered and so it's just a there's this yeah there's the history with the names and the actual history of the foundations and what they support and there's there's a lot going on there but so, yeah, how do they like why do they get this money and like where does the money come from and how is it decided how they get funded? Because the Erasmus Stiftung, the current situation is they are not funded by the German government and they want to be because the AFD is in parliament. Right. They're not one of the largest, but, you know, they're a non what are they like 10 percent now. They were at 13 earlier. Like they're a yeah. significant political force in the country and have been for a bit. And they. I mean, I hate to say that they like deserve any money, but you can see based on the other parties, they say, well, we have the vote share. Why should we not get these millions of euros that the other parties get? And based on just a purely kind of mathematical calculation, they have a point. At the same time, the repercussions of that are, are crazy if like the German government funding this like far right group. But to like to back up there and understand why this is a controversy, how is it decided who gets money um, and how much? So, yeah, the important thing to understand about this is despite it, the current budget being 660 million a year, which is pretty considerable, it's pr pretty much 
it's not codified it's not regulated really it's done by custom rather than by any law there doesn't exist a law so this issue first came up obviously the oldest foundations were set up in the 40s and 50s and they started to receive federal funding it was in the early 90s when the greens started to form as as their own party and they took a a case to the constitution court in 93 saying that like you know you shouldn't fund these organizations from the federal level because they're basically funding the party it's an unfair advantage we don't have one it gives an uncompetitive advantage to the established parties and against us the court upheld the the right for the federal government to fund those so the greens eventually decided to form their own and the the left party would after that and the after would after that as new political players came onto the scene um but there still isn't any way of really um regulating this so basically there's a rough idea that like it corresponds to your um representation in the bundestag the only the only actually so the only thing that the constitution court said is that the people who are um the one the organizations valid uh, who have the right to have it are ones who are i think the term is something like a permanent uh, political movement which is defined as having two consecutive terms in the bundestag so this brings us to the afd who have been trying to get funding for the erasmus stiftung since it affiliated in 2018 they've been rejected each year but since September, the elections in September, when they re-entered the Bundestag for the first time, so the second consecutive term, that has changed the basis of the rejection. And it's the the money actually comes from various ministries, the Ministry of the Interior, the Ministry of Economic Cooperation, and so on. But it's decided by the Bundestag and its budget committee. So the foundations ask, they submit a, a budget to the um, budget committee and they will approve it as they do for every other uh, foundation, except for the AFDs. This isn't really, and also an important point is, it's not really audited very well. Like this is a lot of money being doled out, but like where exactly it's spent, how it's spent, this is very unclear and untransparent. Um, I mean, there was an audit report just last year by the the federal um, auditors that found, and they didn't name specific foundations, but found a lot of foundations were doing like fake pension top-ups, that the top salaries were equivalent to the very highest level of the civil service. There were, uh, you know, chauffeurs and all these things. There were clearly a lot of um, people making use of the fact that these budgets are not accounted for. They're not really audited. There didn't seem to be any consequence from that, that audit report, but there's no telling where the money goes, basically. And that's true of all the parties. Honestly, that's the thing I probably fear least about the Erasmus shift on getting state money is like if they all just want to line their pockets and like take limos and stay in fancy hotels and get nice pensions. Like that's one thing. It's like supporting this ideology both in Germany and around the world that I feel like is the is the main threat. So, yeah, if they just do corruption, like petty corruption with it, that's the that's probably the least bad situation, because as you write, um, by some estimates, the AFD could be entitled to between 50 million and 75 million euros for the Erasmus Stiftung before the end of the parliamentary term in 2025, raising the surreal prospect that a foundation connected to the extreme right could receive enormous sums of money from the German state, 
which it could then use to undermine German and European democracy. Because the, the AFD, of course, has itself been under sort of uh, the watch of the the, German, the Verfassungsschutz, like the German, um, literally translated. Constitutional translate, protection. The constitutional protection, but it's basically their Domestic intelligence. intelligence so. Exactly, like the, the FBI, basically. Yeah, um, and the basically the the argument that they make, and the, it's in their submission to the Supreme Court, is that they are a legal party, which is true. Um, they are being observed as of, uh, I think, March by, and that, that would involve probably phone taps or, or digital surveillance, but they are still a legal party. And it's pretty hard to, to prescribe a party. I mean, they also, it's important that there's direct party funding as well, which is much, much lower than the Stiftungs get. But the AfD do get that money to run their election campaigns. Also, the NPD, which is the outright neo-Nazi party, still receives a couple of hundred thousand euros a year from the government because they can't prescribe them. They they haven't been able to actually do it. And this is a much more clearly Nazi party, and you can say legally it's a Nazi party, than the AfD. So if it can't be done for them, there doesn't appear to be any hope that the AfD would be ruled illegal or ineligible to get the Stiftung money. That's what they're saying is that, look, we're a legal party like any other, treat us like any other. You can't discriminate. And... A lot of legal experts um, say, and they might hate the AFD themselves, but they say that that is a pretty clear case. So basically, we're waiting on most likely a judgment from the Constitutional Court to, ruling on their appeal. And I've not spoken to anyone who really thinks that it's going to fall against the AFD. I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, the like, funding of elections like the Viacom funding, is that anchored in the Constitution? Like, or is that also just customary that once you reach a certain vote share that you get funding for your elections? Isn't it like 1%? I'm not sure if it's in the Constitution specifically, but it is legally regulated and it is capped at like, I think it is a 50% rule where like the government will only provide the They'll basically match what you can raise from things like membership and merchandise. The AfD were at one point like selling like gold coins or old Deutschmarks to basically try and like juice their 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 income so the government would match it. I think that's been stopped now, but they that was their old that's plan. such like this is where like the American right wing grifters are just so much better at it because like you'll see like the insane infomercials on like Fox News that'll be like buy your Donald Trump gold <laughs> coin now for only three you know like and the AFD the AFD like tries to copy that but like who are they gonna put on the coin like what are they gonna do Some like guy has, people like, a bunch like in his basement the right like, the right wingers in Germany are all way too stingy to fall for that kind of yeah. stuff like it just couldn't work but I like that they're trying the like extreme right wing grift stuff. Yeah, and I think the they've come. It seems like they've come a little reluctantly to the the Stiftung thing. I mean, they have previously objected to this system in the same way maybe that the Greens objected before joining. Jörg Moithen, who used to be the leader, has you know publicly criticised that they brought forward like a law in I think twenty seventeen eighteen to to really restrict um, funding to the foundations, which every party voted against, as they do for every AfD bill. Um, so they haven't always been thinking of... They've, I think they've seen the sifting system as aligned against them, but eventually have come around to thinking, well, we seem to be entitled to it now, so why not? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this. Like, 
So they don't even, these Stiftungen, they don't even like apply for funding. It's just kind of doled out because that's customary. So it, the, <laughs> you, you, you submit a draft budget and the AFD has submitted theirs. It's for like, they're asking for 8 million, which is a lot lower than any of the other. That's lower than uh, the Rosa Luxemburg, even though they have a higher um, Bundestag representation. But if you look at like, I don't know, I've seen budgets from much, much smaller organizations that are a lot more detailed than, okay. than this one. Uh, I don't know if the other ones are, are different, but considering the amounts involved, it's pretty vague. I mean, the, they propose 8 million just for this year for 60 staff, um, various seminars, conferences, uh, offices, regional offices, and a headquarters in Berlin. Currently, they seem to be, the only address I can find is like a residential side street in Lübeck, presumably someone's <laughs> house. I don't know whose house it is. But like cur currently, I mean, the you can check their website. Their output as it is, is basically um, various online and a few in-person lectures, um, some very occasional publications. It's apparently run on volunteer uh, hours and, you know, occasional donations. It's run on a real shoestring at the moment. So the concern isn't necessarily the output of what they're doing now, but imagine you gave these people 8 million just for this year, presumably more going forward. Is there is there any kind of idea of the sort of thing that they would support or, or the kind of political projects that sort of would be in their potential repertoire, right? Because you said, yeah, okay, it's a shoestring budget. It's mostly just volunteer. So it's sort of like we're, we're afraid of this, this idea of this thing happening. Um, and for example, like you, you cite here, the, the German Institute for Human Rights said, a foundation that spreads racist and right-wing extremist ideas should not be supported uh, by the state as a matter of principle. And so... Right. You know, I can I can see the logic there. But like, do we have a good idea of what they would want to do? Or like, you know, are we are we maybe exaggerating this? Like, are they going to support these like heinous right wing ideas? Like what what's their sort of political angle? So one thing that the because the Erasmus Stiftung is separate from um, the party, it does have a little distance to play with. And the, the head of it, Erika Steinbach, is quite good at not involving the most extreme fate like you wouldn't see someone like Bjorn Hooker who's you know a very well-known extremist in the AfD he would not be speaking at their lectures they keep on the right side of the line of respectability like if you look at their topics it's you know Islam it's migration it's revisionist history but it's not the most extreme stuff they're not overt about it but that's the stuff they put online, you know, in terms of um, if they got this money, they'd be putting on a lot of conferences, a lot of lectures. Uh, Karl-Heinz Weissmann, who's on the um, on the board, one of the kind of the, the secondary figure after um, Steinbach, he is associated pretty directly with the extreme right through the Institute for State Politics, which he founded some years ago with Gotz Kubitschek, who's another kind of right-wing identitarian. They're sort of the German new right um and he has uh, said that what they would like to do is have a lot of um academics and scholars who don't fit into the mainstream or you know however you'd like to interpret that have been affected deeply by cancel culture yeah honestly <laughs> it would be stuff like that so again a lot of it is they're, they're being quite overtly like not extreme now but 
once they get this money and the same with the other Stiftung and it's not really clear where it's going to go or how you would find out where it's going to go. They have said and partially the reason that their um, request is, is low this year is they haven't asked for any money for foreign work. Um, I mean, they don't even, they seem to be registered to someone's house. They don't have a Berlin office. So presumably that's not their priority right now, but it's hard to imagine they would not make use of that in the future if they were able to. And definitely the sort of new right figures that are involved do have international links to, especially in the, the dark countries in, in Switzerland and Austria, but also throughout Europe as well. Right. And you say uh, you, you cite uh, an internal plan that was reported by the German media, which said, you know, aside from the 60, just 60 staff that they sort of plan with this immediate amount of money, they say internally, maybe they want to reach 900 eventually when they start engaging in international work, probably, you know, maybe a, a ways off after they establish the Berlin office and so yeah. on. But clearly there's some kind of ambition here, right? Yeah. I mean, the 900 does seem a bit fantastical. That's that's more than I think any of the bigger Stiftungen's uh employ but if they wanted to turn it purely into a make work scheme um maybe they could reach that um i mean if you think of the kind of people who um work or have come up through the foundations i mean two of the key figures in in German politics like annalena baerbock the foreign minister is um she was supported by the heinrich Boll stiftung as she rose to the green party Friedrich Merz of the CDU, also supported by the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung. It's a real breeding ground for like young talent. And the AfD do have their um, Junge Alternative, the, the, the youth wing, which is in many ways more extreme, um, a little more, you know, a little more online, a little more savvy about things like climate. A good rule of thumb, I think, for German parties is the youth wing of the party is always a more extreme version of whatever it is, whether yeah. it's right or left. Like the, far more distilled. The, yeah, like the USOs, the like young, the the young social democratic um, the, the group is, you know, they'll be sort of more left than we talked about Kevin Kunit before, or like the the Junge Union, the young version of the the CDU mm. will also be like quite a bit more right wing. Like I've seen them with like. Like like Kaiser Reich, you know, like <laughs> really? insignia and stuff like yeah, like sort of openly saying like that was good, um, and so yeah, I think I think that's like a general rule of thumb you can assume, and that's a very scary prospect with uh, a party that's you know well to the or somewhat to the right at least of the 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 other right wing parties in Germany. Yeah, I mean the 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 term I never know how to say Kader or Kadre developments. Is, yeah. is used in Germany as yes, bring you know training the the young talent you need for whether it's parliamentary work or to become um, Bundestag abgeordnete in future or whatever. It also for people someone like Karl Heinz Weismann who I think his his job is a retired teacher and the AfD does and it's kind of milieu has a lot of uh, beamters, a lot of sort of you know public officials or whatever. Who, who, especially now, since it's under observation, are going to, to find that much tougher. A lot of those kind of intellectual figures would like a nice Stiftung job. And that, that is what the other political currents have. So it's really an unprecedented opportunity for both the young and older members to have a stable, well-paying job where they can, you know, do what they love. It's like a landing pad and also... You jump off from there, you come back. Yeah, down. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more worried, like I said, about the, the jumping off than the sort of comfy 
retirement you know what i mean if some old racists just get like a nicer house and a boat <laughs> like that that's not as big of a problem as like some of the most psycho young people in this country getting big scholarships in order to achieve political success later in their life can i come back to something that we yeah, yeah. said earlier like with annalena for example when you're saying the heinrich bush stiftung like supported her does that mean upping her public persona by like inviting her to talks and stuff like what does that actually look like did she i mean i think for her because this came up during the last election um, when she was running as a candidate it was she was a phd student and she was funded by i don't think it was a huge amount i think it was like, like a thousand euros a month or something and she was also at the time i think relatively senior in the brandenburg greens Okay. So you see a kind of overlap, but particularly I think Mertz also was for a, a master's or a PhD. So often it is directly for education. But I think in, in Baerbock's case, people were questioning whether, you know, she didn't finish it. So maybe was it just like a... Oh, right. I, I think I think yeah. it, they, they, there was a whole investigation and she was cleared or whatever. But um, at first I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So it says, yeah, Tagesspiegel reports that she got offered the PhD scholarship before she had actually finished her master's uh, in London. And they didn't have like the final grades, but awarded it like before that. So it's like, yeah, it looks like, okay, here's an up and coming politician. Let's like get her on the fast track. Yeah. Right. And so like that, that's what it's used for. In many and ways. I think that's like the fact, really the foundation. I think the very first thing that the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung did when it was founded just after his death in the 20s like the very first thing Ed, the first one did was support like working class students who were seen to be aligned to the party yeah so i think that's really like very foundational to the whole system yeah and so i mean they this tiger spiegel article also talks about um this is just translated here but the former um candidate for chancellor armin laschet if anyone remembers him seems like forever ago yeah <laughs> it's been a while yeah, yeah it really has <laughs> yeah. yeah it's been like a year since he was laughing about the floods right um seems seems like forever ago and so he also received a scholarship they say just to sort of ah. illustrate this point about how it's a kind of you know a little escalator for potential talent uh, just a political talent and not academic talent although he didn't prove to have much of either in the end it seems but to their point is um, they say he received a scholarship. He passed his abitur with an average of 2.4. Um, not that great in the German system. Not like the sort of best and brightest that they claim they support. Um, and from he he studied uh, from the third semester onward. He was funded by CAS, the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung. And they say the prerequisite was outstanding academic achievements. But his... <laughs> His results were stated as only satisfactory. So Armin, uh, Armin also maybe add him to the ranks of the not completely deserving scholarship recipients of these foundations, just to give you an idea of what the point of this kind of stuff is. And so you, you mentioned like Steinbach and, and you talk about, um, you know, founding, uh, funding people in their education. And so, you know, obviously they select people that seem like they sort of ideologically align. And, you know, you sort of mentioned some of her, her activities. And so the so you're so I'm a I'm a young I'm a young reactionary and I want to get a Ph.D. Uh -oh. uh, and I say, OK, well, I want to get I want to get my studies funded. And so I look in, you know, well, how how do I make my application essays and my interviews align with what the party wants? You know, I want to I want to make sure I get that money. I want to get this Ph.D. 
And so she's, you know, you mentioned some of her statements. She's done things like uh, compare same-sex marriage to pedophilia, oppose the criminalization of marital rape, and suggested that Muslim members of the CDU should sign an anti-Sharia declaration. So just to, you know, again, like the, the, the foundation doesn't really exist in its full form yet, but you can sort of see based on the other foundations what they do and how they select people. That seems like they're, they're up and coming potential strong political candidates from them and they align with the, the party ideologically. And so to get your application, you have to kind of align. And if this is the, these are the people leading the foundation that the believe these sort of things, that's going to encourage the kind of people to share those views or to actually, you know, deliberately sort of acquire them in order to get the funding. And it, it gives you an illustration of the kind of danger of this sort of thing. And, I, you know, we don't want to be overly giving into scare tactics and that kind of thing. Because like we said, we don't, it's all sort of speculation at this point. But you do have these glimpses of what kind of stuff this sort of foundation would support and the amounts of money they can do it with. Yeah, I mean, to, just to give an idea of the Younger Alternative, I was at a, it was the kind of end of campaign rally uh, for the AfD just before the last elections in Gurlitz in Saxony, which is where the leader Timo Chapalo is from. And the Junger Alternative had the stand, and I can't remember exactly what the writing was on them, but it was, their stand was like, had a big banner picture of like a, a refugee boat in the med and was some pun or joke about like them drowning there. That was, which is quite a bit worse even than like what the grown-up AfD with their stand was... Um, somewhat less objectionable but like those guys are pretty extreme and they are um amongst younger voters in Saxony Thuringia AfD is pretty popular so there is a young generation coming up and yeah those could definitely be will presumably be involved in the Erasmus Stiftung if it gets the funding nothing really keeps you at at something than uh just getting a whole bunch of money to <laughs> Well, it's like the German student lifestyle thing of just like staying in your master's degree or your PhD, you know, until you're 43, except like this time you can actually get funding and then you get a job with the party. And then you yeah. hop on over. Yeah. You're just like. So you're not just a use. You're not just like a, a useless idiot living in a giant flat chair in Berlin until you're like middle aged. I mean, you go very far in somewhere like Gorlitz. You definitely have a whole house. The Junga Alternativa is gonna have the they're gonna have the best parties once they're all yeah, funded. They're frats. gonna they're gonna like they're gonna get just absolutely wild and just go on about Sharia law forever. <laughs> um could you could we talk a little bit more about the the people as part of this foundation? You know, I think I think we've done a good job of kind of summarizing the the sort of foundation space generally in Germany and then some of the specifics of of the actual um, Erasmus Stiftung as it exists and what it might be, you know, and I sort of we sort of mentioned like what kind of things some of the leadership supports, but you also get into this um, talking about the the chair of the board, uh, Karl Heinz Weissmann. Could you talk a little bit about him and maybe some other of the sort of potential currents we've picked up with this party? Like like I said, I was you know pushing it a little bit, being you know, oh, are we are we really worried? Are they actually going to be so far right? And I think you put a lot of hints in this article to get that this, yes, they actually probably will be in many cases. So could you just get, run through a couple more warning signs that we've maybe picked up so far? Yeah, so Weissman is like a pretty key figure in like the new right movement, which is a pretty, it's, it's pretty loose, kind of volkish, um, identitarian sort of movement that kind of, mostly in Germany, but also in Austria, Switzerland as well. 
Um, he would write a lot about Western decadence, Islam, immigration, obviously, all, all, all of those. Um, and like a, a, a Greek statue Twitter avi kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. And like his whole thing is sort of, you know, his and the approach. It's, it's a very intellectual, you know, they think a lot of themselves intellectually. The strategy that he would outline is a sort of long march through the institutions. It's to, you know, getting influence in universities and schools. And that is would also be part of the... Um, Erasmus Stiftung program. I mean, someone I spoke to for this, Maren Mendel, who's the head of the uh, Anne Frank Education Institute, was quite concerned that reading material, educational material, would find its way into sco to schools, and a lot of school teachers might not know, especially with the Erasmus name, where it's coming from. Um, and that is the kind of strategy that someone like Weissman has talked about for a very long time. Um, Steinbach is, and I think important to point out, only during the AfD last year, she was in the CDU for, she's, I think, in her 70s. She's been around a while, uh, and she's been in the CDU uh, in Frankfurt for most of her career. She's best known as the former head and longtime head of the Federation of the Expellees, which is the group that advocates for the former German residents of Eastern Prussia, the other side of the Odenias line, who were, who were expelled. Go back and listen to our episode on yeah. the, the Odenaisa Linia on exactly that topic. There's still this, yeah, this very embittered group of people. She has, she has a weird, back. yeah, she has a, apparently a very large profile in Poland as, as a real hate figure. Because um, I, I think over there, maybe not so much recently, but certainly when she was head of that organization, she would do things like, you know, claim that she would oppose Polish accession to the EU until... Um, there was compensation for the people expelled. And this was, um, you know, she, she she was personally like quite uh, causing a lot of problems with, you know, people like Donald Tusk at the time. And there was even a magazine cover of uh, one of the weekly magazines in Poland. And they basically had her dressed up as an SS officer riding oh Gerhard Schroeder's back. So she was, I, I think I think over there, they thought she's a lot more influential in German politics than she really was. But... That was what she was best known as for a long time. And she joined the, she joined the AfD last year, just I think maybe the same day or certainly the same week as Jörg Moythen resigned. And Moythen was obviously not a moderate, but was considered a sort of um, more moderate figure within the, the current AfD. And so she joined at the same time, also claiming that it was, you know, Merkel's refugee policy that, that pushed her and that, um, you know, this was the only con real conservative alternative left. Um, so that's Steinbeck. There's also a couple of... There's all, <laughs> I'm, I'm still just like picturing her just like taking a little trip to Poland just to like yell. It's just a, <laughs> it's such an awesome like crank kind of belief now that like Germany is going to get this land back. Like it's just like, you know, we ran through the whole history of it and like, you know, the, the mainstream of the parties was actually supporting this, you know, like well, like almost up to up to reunification. And it's just like it's just it's over like it's just not it's not going to happen but it's just such a, like to stake your sort of like political reputation on that kind of thing is is very funny especially when you think like in other contexts there would be a lot of links between sort of the polish right and the german right mm -hmm. at the european level and it's like they're just they're just busy sniping sniping at each other about like this <laughs> cold war era border that's just like gonna be there from now on 
is there anyone else of note that we should that we should, we should talk about that might um i mean there's a couple of other it, it's hard to tell they don't um they're not so public about who's on the board anymore um you can tell a few figures and you can tell who appears in their their lectures obviously there's a few so there's sort of like a loose milieu it's hard to tell who's what exactly like there's max otto who's part of the CDOs of Vertu Union, which is the kind of ultra conservative, like the Tea Party or whatever of the that's CDU. Where, um, is is Mertz part of it or are they just strongly support Mertz? But that's I, like that's like that wing of the party. I think they yeah. might even be to the right of Mertz. Yeah. But yeah. they would be supportive of Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they strongly support But him. Otto is probably going to or is um under suspension or investigation because he ran as the AfD's presidential candidate. So I think they're trying to expel him from the CDU now outright. <laughs> Something maybe to flag here, and we're not we're not assuming any you know direct links, of course, between between these parties and movements, but notice how there's sort of this a degree of fluidity for some characters between what's sort of considered the mainstream right of the FDP and the CDU, the the AFD, the sort of rightmost of the parliamentary parties, and then even sort of farther right groups that you know wouldn't wouldn't have any representation in parliament. Obviously, not a majority of people in these parties, but there are certain characters that do seem to move through them rather fluidly, which does, I think, raise a bit of, uh, raises some questions about the political orientation generally of even what's considered the mainstream German right. But that's just my little, my no, little de- aside no, commentary. Definitely. You can see like Steinbach is the perfect figure to show that kind of yeah. drift. And so, you know, I think it's pretty clear this is a, a potentially very alarming thing. You know, this is A, a lot of money, B, very terrible political views um, with the potential to spread them quite far and wide. And as you discuss, you know, it doesn't look like from an actual sort of like constitutional or like legal basis now that there's very good grounds for not giving them the funding they've asked for. Are there any political sort of movements or action or developments that might counter this? Because it does seem like such a crazy outcome for the German government saying like these this network of foundations, it exists to spread liberal democracy and sort of these sort of, you know, sort of post-war federal republic values, at least as they sort of see them. And so this is the point of this whole network is to do this. And then they're giving money to a foundation that maybe not explicitly, but definitely will oppose those kind of values in their actual practice. So they're giving money to something that's undermining their political goals you know, from the perspective of the German state. It, it, it seems kind of crazy that it wouldn't happen. It also seems really crazy that it would happen. What are the actions being taken by some of the parties or some politicians to try to counter this? And how politically feasible does that look? So this has been coming down the track for quite a few years now. It's been obvious that the AfD would get um, reelected into parliament. They have a pretty large constituency now, the at least 10% on the bad year. So they were always going to get reelected. And really, this issue with the Erasmus Stiftung was clearly going to come up. But we're years into this. It's been discussed for years by politicians, by the media. All the parties have denounced the organization, said they don't want this to happen. It would be terrible for German democracy. But nothing really has been done. And for the whole existence of this shifting system, there has been no regulations. There's been no laws about it, really. Um, So everything from the lack of transparency where the money is spent, the amount of money which has risen to, you know, yeah, 660 million a year, it's just continued to rise over the decades. 
this would all be called into question if you brought in a law that, and because any law would have to apply to all of these equally, you can't single out the AfD or the Erasmus Stiftung. So if you wanted to introduce transparency laws, they would affect everyone. As one of the legal experts I spoke to said, this would be a sort of Damocles hanging over all of the other foundations because they would have to, basically a law has been one sort of package of or sort of framework of a law that's been proposed by Maren Mendel, who I mentioned earlier, and the former Green um, Bundestag member Volker Beck. And they've proposed a sort of uh, democracy protection law, I think they called it, that would, you can't stop them getting the money uh, because they are a legal party, but you could say, where is this money going? Is this money going to something that promotes democracy like it's supposed to? If not, you can't get it. You need to specify where it's going, what it's being used for. And so obviously, if every other uh, foundation had to do this, it would bring us back to earlier, you know, these auditing offices finding, you know, these uh, you know fake pension top ups and stuff. There would be a lot more light shed on that. And so some parties have come out nonetheless. The Greens have supported this sort of transparency increase for a long time. Um, the Linke and Rosa Luxemburg also support it with the condition that the Verfassungsschutz are not involved because they have a sort of... Um, horseshoe theory of extremism that would probably affect them. The FDP, I think, are not clear, maybe on the fence, but the two big ones, the CDU and the SPD, and the SPD matters more probably because they are currently leading the government, um, they don't seem to be keen on it. Their foundations have both signaled that they are happy with the current arrangements. The, part, the parties seem to be in agreement with that. So it's been notable that this uh, package of laws, this... Um, proposed by Beck and Mendel was this was last year over a year ago now and it just hasn't um, been brought up in the Bundestag so everyone is sitting around waiting on this court judgment that no one really thinks will, will result in the Erasmus system being blocked from funding but there is nothing really being done and um, Mendel himself was saying to me that he's, he's, he's quite frustrated and, and fearful over this sort of inertia that everyone seems to agree this is a terrible thing and it looks like it's going to happen, but there's just no... Um, well, there's no done. there's no recent history of everyone knowing an extremely damaging court decision is going to come eventually and then uh, the Congress not passing any laws to uh, to prevent that. So, yeah, I don't... It should be fine. Answers, yeah, should absolutely. be fine, yeah. I mean, I kind of wonder also if that's why they, like, low-balled or seemingly low-balled this, like, eight million because then it's easier for the larger parties to be like okay well they're not trying to like hose us for <laughs> i think that yeah i think that's quite clearly their strategy is yeah. to to start with something more modest and then once the unless intimidating to be like this is you know we're not we're not asking for you know 10 times that and having these networks all around the world to like to spread right-wing propaganda right it doesn't seem it's like what are you really afraid of we just want a little berlin office right and so like you can see how this could get could get much bigger and also you know you did a great job kind of linking this back to what you're starting uh, talking about at the start which is like the incentives here right because it's like well okay maybe they're a little bit scary maybe that's not what i want but if your party grandees have you know comfortable posts at the top of some of these organizations if you're a 70-year-old, you know, ex-CDU politician or ex-SPD for that matter, and the difference between you getting a fat pension for the rest of your life and uh, some far-right party 
getting some funding. Like if the if the light that had to be shed to prevent that foundation, the far right foundation from existing, was also going to be light shed on your organization, which mm-hmm. would impact your lifestyle. Yeah. You don't care. And like they still in the party grandee still exert a lot of influence over the party. But of course they're, they're they're separate organizations. Yeah. And sorry. so they, this oh, influence right, shouldn't right. shouldn't be there, of course. But you know, and and I say this only because he was the former party leader, but the head of the Ebert Stiftung is Martin Schulz. And it's hard to imagine he doesn't talk pretty regularly with someone like Olaf Scholz about all sorts of things. But, you know, th- this is where the idea that they're separate entities kind of falls down. It's it's quite clear that influence goes both ways between for, for all of them. It, it feels like a bit of an insult to everyone's intelligence when they're like, sorry, no, we're totally we're totally separate. Except, yeah, we get the funding based on whether the party's in the parliament or not. And it's like. Well, obviously, they have a an interest in an organizational interest in exist like their existential basis is the party's success in elections. Like, of course, how can you separate it if that's the case? You know. Yeah, and I think it is notable that the ones who are quite clearly, um, you know, the the Lincoln, the Greens, who are, who are quite happy to have more transparency. These are the smaller ones and the newer ones. Yeah, I think the because their foundations, they do do quite a lot of work and the, the greens particularly internationally but in terms of budget they're still smaller and in staffing than than the adenauer stiftung and the Eber stiftung so i think it's clearly a more one would assume there's a lot more cushy positions in those two and there's a lot more benefits to the two bigger parties from having these bigger yeah. well-budgeted stiftung and than there is to the smaller ones so which brings back to that original um, court case from the Greens saying that, you know, it's quite clearly funding the party, whether you pretend it or not. And it's unfair that the bigger parties get loads more money. Um, and that's there's still probably uh, an argument that's bubbling there underneath. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it'll be interesting to see if this just sort of happens and no one everyone kind of says, oh, what a shame. And then the German state starts funding this far right organization. Or if they really like change the system and rip it up a bit, which seems unlikely, like we said, given the sort of institutional and like incentive structures here. Either way, it seems like it's headed for some kind of some kind of impasse and some kind of crisis. Right. And it's like it is, you know, what I always like tell people, um, even if they're like who are on the left, even if they're kind of skeptical of like D-Link of the party. I'm just like, no, 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 we have to vote for them because we need the Rosa Luxemburg shift to get money because it fun, it does yeah, so much good stuff. It's like, funds, who yeah. cares what the parliament does? They're not going to pass anything anyway. But like you need the funds for the the, the organization and that now like D-Link being on the kind of the, the brink of parliamentary representation. It's like it is a real threat if they don't make it multiple times in a row that then the foundation loses its funding. But you can apply that logic, obviously, in the other direction. Like I said, it's like, oh, well, they're doing this really important work with this small parliamentary group. How much bad work can you do with that much money in the other direction? And I just I just don't see a resolution here that seems like satisfactory at all. I mean, it it may be the case that, you know, they get the money this year or next or whatever. Um, I mean, it, there will always be time to, to push through this law and maybe it's um, politically tenable now to because it hasn't actually happened yet um, to ignore this. Maybe when it does happen, the bigger parties will feel like there's too much pressure not to just um, shed light on everyone's accounts. I would assume this would be just like a maybe a total like, you know, 
flies to like a fluorescent light kind of thing of like journalists to like whatever this foundation starts funding and starts doing right i mean this has to be it's going to be under so much scrutiny i guess in an ideal world you'd hope that if they do get the funding there's going to be so much scrutiny to anything they're doing that then there'll be more political pressure but i i, I don't have any faith in that like mechanism of democracy watch anymore. them just legislate it so that starting now we'll open our books you know like, like, okay. yeah it'll be Starting it'll be like those time. fossil fuel targets thing that like by 2055 yeah, we want to phase yeah, out yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's like kind of a slow moving crisis like you said you know people have seen this coming for a while um i think you did a, a great job of writing about this for like a a big english language publication to to bring some awareness and so it's a it's a good opportunity for us too to be able to talk about um I think we haven't really mentioned it that much, but what is like a very key and very unique part of the German political landscape. So mm-hmm. we very much appreciate that. Um, and yeah, any kind of closing thoughts on this topic at all before we let you go? Um, I think we've covered quite a lot. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I have more to add. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been great. Um, so yeah, Rory Casey, thanks so much for coming on. And where can, uh, we'll link to this, obviously, where can people find your work? Anything else you're working on at the moment you'd like to share? Um, just follow me on Twitter, I suppose. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pop the link in there. Um, yeah, and then thanks so much. Uh, really, really enjoy the talk. And uh, yeah, very, very important topic that we got to cover. And it's nice to nice to wrap up one of these sort of structural aspects of German politics into a sort of newsworthy current item. So we appreciate that a lot. Thanks. Thanks, Roy. Should we say choose? Yep. Customary Sprash Mems of choose. Michelle, take it choose. away. Choose. 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 <laughs> See you next time. Thanks for listening.